was just thinking as Brother Sean was leading us in 544. If you want to look there at the last verse. The last verse says, And when my work on earth is done, and my new work in heaven is done, I will forget the crowns I won and praise the Lord with others. That's a good sentiment. But I want you to know we live in a day where people go to ball games and everybody gets a participation trophy. Everybody gets honored and recognized. I don't think it's going to be that way in heaven. I hope we never think, well, we just automatically get all this wonderful stuff. But um, I don't believe the Lord hands out crowns to people who haven't earned them. He talks about crowns. There are five specific crowns mentioned in Scripture. And I think they require a qualification. They still call it the crucible, don't they? You can't call yourself a Marine if you just show up and then say, I changed my mind. Can't. You got to go through the crucible. There's a type to go through. There's a price to pay. Just like we've been talking about the friends of God. You want to count as the Lord's friend? The Lord said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. Now what does that mean if you think of yourself as a Christian, but you don't actually do what Jesus said? Do you qualify as a friend of God? <clears throat> well, why does it say that? Last week I asked, who graduated in 1972. And, of course, Brother Crawford and myself. The week before, when I said 71, I said 72 and Brother Den. But I plumb forgot somebody else who graduated in 72. <laughs> you see, she's she's two years younger than me, but she got on the fast track. She finished. She didn't graduate in four years, but she did graduate. She plum did it in three, and then. Three years later, she graduated from college. And then the next year, we went to school together, grad school, and we actually got to graduate at the same time. She got to graduate with an older guy. <clears throat> well, just to clear the record, anybody here graduate in 73? No? Well, I guess I need to just ask that for a while until we get through all the well, it probably we don't have anybody who's going to say, no, I didn't graduate until 2050. But there are 150 songs. So, that means which one are we going to look at today? But let's add one to the last one. 73. 73! Yes, yes. That was... Uh, that's what we need to look at. What is also distinctive about Psalm 73? That's right. If you have been coming every Sunday afternoon, with the exception of communion and baptism, we, we've looked at a, one Psalm, one Sunday. That's kind of hard for me to commit to, but uh, so far we've been able to do that. And so, if you started with us 
when we did Psalm 1, that began the first book. And then that went through Psalm 41. That was the first book of the Psalms. Now, there are a lot of books in the Bible that aren't that long. But that's just one book of the whole book of the Psalms. And then with 42, the one that talks about as the heart pants for thee. And then she was playing that just a little bit ago. We have it modified as the deer pants for the waters. That started, and last week we concluded the second book of the Psalms. 73 starts the third, which isn't as long. And then 90 starts the fourth, which is not as long. And then I believe it's 107 to the end. You've got for the fifth book. You might tell folks on the job tomorrow, you know, we've, we've covered two books of the Psalms. They might look at you funny like, oh, I didn't know there were books of the Psalms. Well, there are. There are chapters. There are Psalms. But there are books. And so, <clears throat> we begin book three with Psalm 73. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. That's qualified too, isn't it? But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well not slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than a heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. They a lot about themselves. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I shall offend against the generation of thy children. Hmm. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. Until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. You see, folks, God knows the final score. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. I told you there's four kinds of reins, didn't I? What comes from the clouds, what a king does, what you have on horse, and then there's me. And this is, of course, spelled like what we have talking about on our inside, pricked in my reins. <clears throat> so foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. And afterward, receive me to glory. 
Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Can we get an amen on that one? Amen. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. Just reading that out loud, does God speak to us? I hope to tell. He's got something to say. <clears throat> My <clears throat> title to this, I say, three questions asked and answered. Because a lot of times, we need to ask some questions. We need to be probed. We need to know what hath God said as well as what had God wrought. You noticed the last verse opens, it is good for me to draw nigh to God, to draw near to God. James 4 encourages draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to thee. I'll bet Sister Heath still has that little sign that says, if you feel far from God, guess who moved? It ain't God, folks. He is high, lifted up, and holy. <coughs> when you're comfortable in the presence of God, and it's because your mind is stayed upon Him, your heart is fixed as it ought to be. That's a good thing. But when you're tied up in the world. And when you're doing the bidding of Satan, and if it's your flesh, again, that song about others, instead of being self-centered, we ought to be others-centered. You've probably heard it many times before, but if you have J, Jesus first, O, others second, Y, yourself last, that spells joy. If you're all bound up in yourself, I'm going to be doing what I want to do. I don't care what anybody said. I don't care what my friends, my family, the preacher, the Sunday school teacher, I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do. Because that's what makes me feel good. Well, shame on you. Shame on me. If that's the attitude that we take. It is interesting. By the way, I, uh, I misquoted that from Proverbs because I couldn't read my own writing. I was looking in Proverbs 14. It's back to Proverbs 19. It talks about wealth. But that's the other message. In Job chapter 14, I want you to know that <clears throat> Many times we have questions and even the answers might be troubling to us. They may be perplexing to us. And the 14th begins, man that is born of a woman, and I guess that's everybody, isn't it? Is a few days, a few of trouble. I heard a young man say, yeah, I'm getting old, I'm 26. <laughs> Well, there was a time I thought 26. I was all grown up and all that. I'd like to be 26 again. I'd like to be 46 again. I'd like to be 66 again. Man that is born is a few days and full of trouble. <clears throat> I bet you've had some trouble. I bet a lot of it you've caused yourself. I know that's the case with me. It's interesting. And we know so little of presence. Paul says, right now we know, we see in part, we know in part. 
But then we will know even as we are known. They asked a preacher in England years ago, do you think we'll know each other in heaven? He said, you think we'll be bigger fools in heaven than we are here on earth? I think what we know today, it's just the tip of the iceberg. So he said, I want to know everything about heaven and the eternal age. Well, how much do you know about this book? This is as much as God has given us, and this is enough to last us a lifetime. Let's take this seriously. By the way, somebody mentioned New Year's resolutions. Would you like to read through the whole Bible in a year? Oh, it's so long. How can I read? It's not that tough. Now, technically, if you want to read 85 verses and stop right there. Okay, that's my quota for the day. You could do it that way. But I, let me give you an easier way to do that. If you'll read three chapters or psalms a day, five on Sunday, you get through the Bible in a year. Only a year if you're consistent. Three chapters or psalms on any other day, weekday if you will, Five on Sunday, you get through it in a year. <coughs> that tells me if you read more than that, you can get through it in less than. Don't make the minimum the maximum. You want to feed your soul. I rarely come in the house and say, Marsha, what's the least you can feed you today? What's the the smallest plate you can get and the smallest little, just get me a little thimble full of this and a thimble full of that and that'll get me through. Now, you know, by looking at me, I, I like to have a full plate and I like to clean. So, it ought to be that way spiritually now, shouldn't it? We had a friend in North Carolina named Irvin Wallace. And he once had a dear lady from the big city come out there to Harmony, North Carolina. And she listened to some of the things the country folks said. She said, Brother Wallace, some of these folks, they're so ignorant. They don't know much, do they? And he said, they may be, sister, but uh, at least what they know is so. I'm afraid sometimes we don't even know What's so? The second verse of our psalm <clears throat> certainly got my attention. As for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well not slipped. Sometimes God's child can feel like, I I'm losing it. I, 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 don't, I don't have it together. Well, in that very psalm, Number 23 reminds us, Thou hast holded me up by my right hand. If you slip, guess what? The Father's not going to let you dump out. He's not going to let you be ruined, if you will. We already read back in the 37th Psalm, and I believe it's verse 23, if I can read my own writing. Of course, the verse before says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. You should say, Thank you, Lord, for showing me how to go. You've got the steps laid out for me. My hometown of Castro Valley, we had a place called Pete's Hardware. And if you walked as, I need some lumber, follow the yellow steps. And that went yellow. And it'd take you over the lumber yard. If you say, I need some nails, well, follow the red. I need something to follow the blue. They <laughs> footsteps all over the place. And as long as you stayed with that color, you could get to where those things were. So it got pretty colorful when you look on the floor like that. Well, the Lord has laid down the steps that we ought to take. And if you put your feet where God would have you to put your feet, you get there. Okay? And he delighted in his way. Are you glad that you're going the way the Lord would have you to go? Yes. 
I hope so. What if he slip? Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Why? Because he's so strong. He's so smart. He's so spiritual. He's got his eyes on the prize and he going to make it. No. The reason you don't take a tumble is because the Lord upholds them with his hand. Who's got your hand? He's not going to mislead you. He's not going to get you confused or as some of my students once said, confused. That's important to understand. And so, <clears throat> the three questions. Two are asked by the godly and one by the wicked. The godly look around and they say, uh, what's wrong with this program? Here I am. I'm thinking God's thoughts. I'm feeling as I ought to about what God tells me to feel. I'm saying, I'm doing, I'm going where, and I'm with who. How come things aren't just rosy for me? Those heathen people out there, they don't give a hoot about God. How come it looks like they are blessed? About the time I started preaching, there was a fellow in England. Uh, maybe his name means something, maybe not. His name was Sinclair Ferguson. He may still be alive, I don't know. But years ago, I heard this cassette tape in which he said, my subject is, can anyone sin and get away with it? And he just had an interesting way that registered with my mind. I think that some people think, you know, I could probably get away with this. I could probably pull some stuff or whatever, and, and not even God will be the wiser of it. I think we could see the godly asking this question in verses 3 through 9. For I was envious at the foolish, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, we had a question, again, Sunday school, brother, should we be honest on our income tax? Absolutely. Do <coughs> you think anybody cheats on their income tax? Amen. They do! They get away with it, don't they? A good friend of mine told me one time, he said, you need to learn the tax laws and take advantage of them, but don't be... Uh, do not evade taxes. Yes, there's a, there's a fine line there between tax avoidance and tax evasion. If you avoid it by... by uh, uh, now, people get, oh, you're a preacher. You want us to do... If you give the money to a taxable foundation, you can claim that on your income tax. If you're... Oh, oh, I'll just claim that on my income tax. I don't think you claim that legally. You might claim it anyway. But it's not a question of if. It's a question of when. It's like our preacher friend in Mississippi. He had a guy working for him who was a preacher and cheated him and then skedaddled with the money. And when it came time for their business, for a county, he went in before the IRS man and he says, I throw myself on the mercy of the IRS. The guy looked at him and he said, Sir, there is no mercy with the IRS. And he wasn't grinning. People think they can do God any old way. Well, that's messed up. I was envious of the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. But there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men. Sometimes, not too long ago, I heard somebody talking. How come if there's a D after your name in a political context, seem like you could get away with murder? I didn't say that, but I had to say, you know, it kind of seemed like that sometimes. But just because somebody else might seem to get away with it doesn't mean that they do. It's important for us 
to take God seriously and to follow through. Therefore, pride compasses them out as a chink. They think, look at that, I can get away with murder. And maybe in this world they do, but they won't with God. Keep that in mind too. Yeah, we ought to get some amens on that one. Violence covered them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than the heart could wish. They have more and more and more. I think it was of John D. Rockefeller. They asked him when he was an old man and pretty close to death. They said, sir, if you could have anything in this world, what would it be? And he said, more money. Hmm. More money than a heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. Oh, they can, they can put it so smooth. They can make it go down so easy. They, they can just excuse this, that, and the other. They set their mouth against the heavens and their tongue walketh through the earth. You know, just because somebody says something doesn't mean it's so. Just like man told me long ago, just because you write it down on a piece of paper, a piece of paper lays still and lets you write anything you want. I, I could write something in my notes and watch what it says in the notes. Yeah, but who wrote the notes? What it says in God's word, God wrote this word. May we take that seriously. Now, this development might disturb, might even plague the righteous. In verse 14, for all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. It might get under your skin. Like they used to say in Shreveport, they got on their works. Does it bother you that people seem to get away with stuff? God's keeping a real good book. <coughs> And they don't get by God. By the way, you don't either. I don't either. In verse 16, when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. It just seems like things aren't working out the way they ought to. <coughs> but this result, if we ever feel that way, that's an embarrassment to us. It really <coughs> supposes that we don't really know What's going on? Or think God is involved. That's why we read verse 21 and 22. Thus my heart was grieved and I was pricked. I'm ashamed to think that I supposed for a moment that maybe God's going to let this slip. Our God is holy. In everything he does, God is holy. God is just with them, with them, with you, with me. God is holy. Amen. And there's no getting around that. Psalm 97, 10 says, Ye that love the Lord hate evil. It doesn't mean hate evil in them, but it's okay if I do it. No, no, not at all. Not at all. And uh, I think... We need to remember, it says in Galatians 6, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. A person, like Brother Jeff was talking about, the, the guy talks about, you know, <coughs> trying to fudge it on your taxes or whatever. You might fool the government. Not long ago, Marcia and I were looking at something that pointed out that Alphonse, better known as Al Capone, he had cops looking the other way. He was pulling all kinds of stunts. He had millions coming in. Graft, extortion, prostitution, drugs, gambling. It was all going on. They even had a special task force. They called it the Untouchables. And you know... He never went to prison for murder. He never went to prison for bribery or extortion. You know how they got him? Taxes. Taxes. Don't tell me the IRS 
is just some mamby-pamby, they'll look the other way. No. Uh, there isn't always truth in advertising, but technically, when you hear that commercial, when they say the IRS is the most powerful collection agency in the world, that's true. That's true. At least in our world. Nobody else can come gunning for you like they can. They can do all kinds of stuff. I'm not anti-IRS. I'm just saying be smart and stay within the law. If you break the law, uh, you're on your own. I'm on my own. We need to know that. But even if you could cheat the IRS, even if you could get away with it, you won't get away with God. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. Whatsoever man sows, that shall he reap. That's a sermon in itself. I won't preach the whole sermon. But it's important to know that. Back in the second psalm, we find some characters shaking their fist at God and thinking, who's God and what's he going to tell me? But verse 5 of Psalm 2 says, after man has postured, he's shaking his saber at God. He said, ha, you don't you tell me what to do. I'm, I'm the captain of my faith. Verse 5 says, then shall he speak to them in his wrath and vex them in his sore <coughs> displeasure. Sure enough. You know who gets the last word? It's God. God gets the last word. When we stand before God, you get, well, my mother said, Uncle Joe said, well, I had a teacher, I had a preacher, and I just feel like, that's not going to cut it, folks. What the Lord has said, that's where it is. That's where we need to be. In verse 12, we're reminded, as well as 18 through 20, Surely thou didst set them in slippery places, thou cast them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. When thou awakest, O Lord, thou shalt despise their image. Don't you think God's a snoozing? Because he's not, it might seem to man. So we talk about the godly. Number one, asking, how come the wicked get away with it? Bottom line, they don't. The wicked dare to ask a question about God as if they could. I remember as a child, somebody said, can God do anything? Well, sure. Could he build a rock too heavy for him to pick up? Again, I defer to Brother Orville Heath's wisdom because he pointed out that uh, if you ask the question, what would it be if you had a universe with an irresistible force and an immovable object? What would happen? Oh, ask the philosopher. No, don't ask the philosopher. You see, men sometimes try to paint God into a corner. God's too smart to be painted into a corner. And if you think you got the God by the tail and you've got God all figured out, you have a vastly distorted understanding and you have an exalted thought about your own mentality. That's why we looked at verse 11. And they said, it says, and they said, how does God know? We had to memorize a poem in high school about Columbus. Sail on, sail on, sail on. And there was a part in that poem I really didn't like. Because it says, why we've gone so far, even God wouldn't know where we are. Really? You really think you could be somewhere where God is not? 139th Psalm. If I go up into heaven, you're there. I go down to hell, you're there. You can, can't go far enough to get away. You might get far enough where somebody else can't find you. 
You might go somewhere where governments can't find you. You can't be where God doesn't know where you are. You go to a place and, well, I'm all alone. We go over the next bed. Well, there's the Lord. He's been waiting on you. Because you're not getting anything over on the Lord. And yet, they suppose that. There's a verse that really answers all of that in Proverbs 24. It says a mouthful. It's, it's worthy of sermon all by itself. And Lord gives me life and breath. I hope to preach a sermon with this as my text. Proverbs 24, verse 9. You know, a few months ago in Sunday school, we were talking about what is sin. Well, it says all unrighteousness is sin. And this is sin, and this is sin, and this is sin. God has laid this out, and this is out, and this is out. And uh, this morning we talked about James 4.17, He that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not to him, it is sin. But look what it says in verse 9 here, Proverbs 24. The thought of foolishness is sin. What if God did something stupid? Don't even think that. So could God commit suicide? Well, God is holy. And God lives. And all things abide in Him. And because of Him, it would mean the destruction of all things. No, there's some things God cannot, God cannot do. He will not lie. He cannot lie. I'm glad of that, aren't you? Get an amen on that one too. Good, good. The thought of fool. Well, what if God, if you're talking stupid stuff, you used to have a clerk in the prison. His name was Teddy. And he'd hear somebody and say, that's just stupid stuff. Don't get into stupid stuff. Sometimes Christian people, they talk about things. They're just bogus. They're just foolish. The thought of foolishness is sin. Oh, look at the second part of it. And the scorner is an abomination to men. You know, it's when you scorn things. You never can say anything good about anybody at any time for any reason whatsoever. If you've got a sneer and a jeer instead of a cheer, sometimes in the world in which we live, we're so competitive, we want to, oh, look at so, oh, <laughs> and they went down. We haven't got a chance to laugh at them. We've got a chance to, to point out their frailties, their failures. Their faults. You know, the Bible tells us where to confess our faults. One of not our sins. You confess your sins to the Lord, but you confess your faults one to another. Sure enough. Somebody came to me and says, "You got a big, big belly." I said, "I sure do. I got big feet too." I don't know if that's a fault or not. But that's the way it is. I mean, warts and all. That's to me. So the wicked ask, if God is all that we affirm him to be. What did Pharaoh say when Moses said, let my people go, that they may serve me? Did he go, oh, sure, anything you say, Moses. You remember what he said? Exodus 5, verse 2. It says, Pharaoh said, who's the Lord? I should obey him. I think the Lord taught him. I think the Lord showed him. Don't you? Eliphaz asked the same question in Job 22 about who's the Lord. And that second psalm we were looking at just a little bit ago, men think they can throw things at God. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointing. What do they say? Let us break their bands asunder and cast away their court. God can't tell us what to do. We're big, we're bold, we're mighty. We, we have determination. We have all of these resources. Look at us. We can, we can really do something. I wish you that God's power and God's purpose remain unshaken. That same psalm tells us when they carry on like that, it says, doesn't say the Lord, oh no, what am I going to do those people? They, they won't do what I say. No, it says, the Lord will have them in derision. It's a joke when man shakes his fist at God. 
Now, some man might shake his fist at you, and you can't do a thing about it. Somebody said, if you want to know how helpless you are, just try to teach your neighbor's dog to shut up when he's barking. We can't even control the neighbor's dog. And yet we think we can tell God, leave me alone. I, you can't tell me what to do. One little kid said to a substitute teacher, you're not the boss of me. Maybe not, but God is. You know that God is the boss of all of us? He's the one we're going to be answering to. We talked about that already, didn't we? The Lord will have the last word. It said in verse 17, the Lord considers their end. And of course, the child of God, the psalmist here, then understood it. We know how they're going to end up. We should pity. Who is the guy? Mr. T used to say, I pity the fool. The foolish man, the foolish woman, the foolish boy or girl, no matter who they are, no matter what their explanation might be, attempt to be if they shake their fist at God guess what we ought to pray for them that the Lord turn them around may the Lord have mercy on their soul because they're cruising for a bruising folks they're just asking for it they don't know how close they are to be cut off if you will in Philippians 3.19, Paul speaks about the wicked who do this and do that. And he says, whose end is destruction. They're going to wind up, well, there's a place called hell. But that's not even the last for them. For our Bibles tell us that death and hell are going to be dumped into the lake of fire. And that's forever. We had some fellows come to us in Benton. And uh, right before the service, hey, in this church, do you believe that uh, hell is eternal? I said, that's a good question. We'll be preaching on that anyway. In the providence of God, the Lord brought that around to that. So in the middle of the message, I say, some people ask the question, is hell forever? And I said, well, technically, no. Oh, I had everybody's attention then. And that's because the Bible tells us death and hell are going to be cast into the lake of fire. And that is forever. Those folks didn't come back. I sort of think they had an agenda. They were looking for somebody that could give them a, a quick fix, a solution. They believed that you go to hell and you burn up, and that's it. Enduring punishment. If you don't like that, you don't like this book too much. Jesus spoke of a place where the fire is not quenched, and where the worm dieth not. And men set traps, and guess who gets caught? That man himself. The last question. Let's go back to the godly. Let's close on a good note. Verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? Now let's pretend for a moment. Let's pretend there aren't any angels. You got anybody in heaven to plead your cause? Of course you do. But we do have one. But we have more than one. The one that counts the most, of course, is the Lord. And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. <clears throat> yes, God is there. And God is the one to whom we pray. And God is the one who hears and knows and provides. And I heard somebody, well, you know, some of the angels, they departed. They, they went away with Lucifer. But you know what? Two-thirds of them are still on our side, so we're okay. Well, that's true. But I don't think the Lord's ever going to get weak. Oh, I mean, some of those angels have helped me out a little bit. Now, but there are these angels. And scripture speaks to that. In fact, uh, Psalm 91 says that the Lord 
has his angels to uphold us. And sometimes people quote the scripture, but they don't get it contextually right. And Satan himself, he quoted that scripture in Matthew 4 and also in Luke 4. He says, well, the scripture says, why don't you go up this high place and jump off and see if God keeps your foot from getting banged up. Where it says he'll have his angels to keep the charge. Why don't you put that to the test? Now, you're not really supposed to put God to the test and say, I'm going to put myself in a bind and see if God will get me out. You might just have to suffer the consequences. Not because God is not powerful, but God will not be mocked. If you're doing it, just try to prove a point. You just might have to suffer the consequences of whatever it is. And the devil quoted that. And what was Jesus' response? He said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. So I've got it on a pretty good basis that if somebody challenges you, though, they're tempting the Lord. Don't you tempt the Lord. And I want to be careful not to tempt the Lord. And there's another thing. Now, you might not agree with me. Uh, you're still my friend, and I won't punch you in the nose if you don't. But I want you to think about this. And some theologians would agree, and some would not. But how does Hebrews 12 open? Now, Hebrews 11, Hebrews 11 talks about the heroes of faith. It talks about from Enoch on, or rather from Abel on. It talks about all of these people who walk by faith and not by sight. It's tremendous. We've got a backlog of people who have done so much, and they're not on this planet anymore, but they haven't ceased to exist. Where are they? Well, they're with the Lord. What are they doing? Now, I could be wrong, but I think they're watching us. I think their thoughts are, will they be true? Will they be faithful? Now, I don't believe in praying to the saints or burning candles to the saints or anything like that. But I think that they watch and they're encouraging us. We talk about races. I'm talking about running races. People get out there at the marathon and you have all these folks running the marathon. You got people who say, come on, come on, you can do it, you can do it. Look at the first verse of Hebrews 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. What's he just got there talking about? All these folks. Enoch. Abel. Abraham. Isaac. Joseph. Samson. Moses. And so many others, even Rahab the harlot, they have gone through. They've put in their time. They lived their lives. And their lives have been sealed. They've already gone the course. And so now here we are. We're down here running and struggling and all this stuff. And you might feel like only the Lord. Well, there is the Lord. And that's enough. That should be enough for us. But if you ask, who do I have in heaven? Well, of course we have the Lord. But I believe the angels are sent as the ministering spirits by the Father to do what God would have them to do for us. They're protectors for us. And I think this verse is also talking. I could be wrong. So don't punch me in the nose, but... I, I want to, what's the cloud of witnesses if it's not the folks that we were just talking about in the last chapter? He says, Say also we are coming out with so great a cloud of Let us lay aside every weight. Don't let anything burden you down. Don't let anything keep you from seeking the perfect will of God and doing it with all of your heart. Because there will be discouragers. There is a devil. And he discouraged. There is this world that's trying to squeeze you into its mold. And there is the flesh. 
but we have a lot cheering us on. Let us lay aside every word and the sin which doth so easily beset us. You ever had somebody say, you call yourself a Christian? Why, you've had some naughty thoughts. You've said some naughty words. You've had some bad attitudes. Had a dad tell me once my daughter's suffering from an RCA. I thought he was talking about a radio. No, that's a rotten Christian attitude. You ever met somebody with a rotten Christian attitude? I'm a Christian. And I'll knock your block off if you call me otherwise. Well, how's that like Christ? And the sin which just easily beset us, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looks to me kind of like that marathon. we got all these folks that have already gone across the finish line, but they've stopped and turned around and said, Come on! You can do this! So whom do we have in heaven besides us? Well, we do. There is someone else on our side. But, like I said, even if we didn't have the angels, even if we didn't have that host of righteous ones to encourage us, we have the Lord first and foremost. That's the reason we do things. Not for to be seen of men. I want people to see me. Look what I get. I'm a wonderful guy. Accumulate all these things. I got all these trophies, all these badges, all these accomplishments. Scripture tells us if we have any crowns, we're going to throw them at the feet of the Lord anyway. Yeah. We're not going to say, I'm going to go to my little corner of glory and sit around in my trophy. I got this. Yeah, I'm really somebody. No, no. Not what it says. Colossians chapter 1 says the Lord has something. Ali Gibbs was at a meeting. And Marsha and I heard him say, based on this, with some people, this is Colossians 1 and verse 18, okay? With some people, the Lord is present in their lives. Yeah, I throw God a bone every once in a while, just to remind people I'm a Christian. And with some people, he is predominant. That should be good enough, shouldn't it? No, no. What's it say in verse 18? He is the head of the body, the church. That's a passage that some of these universal church people, they had kind of fuzzy-wuzzy about. You know who heads this church? You're not looking at it if you're looking up here. I am merely an under-shepherd. I'm a Christian just like you. I'm a sheep just like you. But the Lord has blessed me with an opportunity and an obligation to preach His Word. But I'm just as much a sheep as you. I hope you know that. hope you know that I know I'm not feet of clay. And I hope that's why you pray for me because I could be getting off track. I could be confused. I could be too chicken to say, what is the truth? The truth as it is in Jesus. But Christ is the head of the church. And that doesn't mean some mumbo-jumbo thing that's comprised of everybody and they have no accountability whatsoever. You're responsible to Jesus Christ for how you live. Did you know that? You mess up, they're going to call the preacher on you. They're going to sick the deacons on you. You know what? We're pussycats compared to the Lord. What can the Lord do to you? You know, now we, we do a preacher. He'd point the finger a lot at people and say, you people this, you people that. But, uh, the you people goes back to me too. He is the head of the body of the church. Who are talking about? The Lord. Who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. What's it all boil down to? That in all things, he might have the preeminence. If one of you brothers or sisters come to me and say, I was talking to somebody about the Lord and the Lord saved them. I'm going to bring him to church and show them all. That's going to make me look good. 
That's going to make you look good, preacher. No, it's not for me. It's not for you. It's not even for the church itself. It's to honor the Lord. Amen. It tells us, I believe it's in Luke 15, that there is joy in the presence of the angels over one sinner that repents. When's the last time you heard someone was saved and said, that's a good thing. That's a great thing. That's a tremendous thing. No, sometimes the worst thing that happens to a young Christian is older Christians want to put a damper on. Don't be somebody that gets all excited. I think we had something I gave for the back of the bulletin not too long ago where the lady went into church and she just got to say and praise the Lord. <laughs> I sure whoever came over Bama, we don't do that kind of thing here. I'm just excited about the Lord. I found the Lord. And he said a mouthful when he said, Lord, lady, you might have found the Lord, but you didn't find him here. Wouldn't that be a shame if somebody said that about Lakeview Baptist Church? I had to go somewhere else to hear the truth. I had to go somewhere else to be among a people who act like Jesus Christ. Well, what do you leave? Just in case, maybe we ought to check our checker. And maybe we ought to. And here I am. I didn't make a point to walk around and shake everybody's hand today. I think it is then because of my infirmity, but we ought to make it a point to speak of the Lord. If people can work their favorite teams into the conversation, or they can talk about the weather, this and that and the other, what about our obligation to lift up Christ? What's the difference between us and somebody else? Like the poster in my office says, Dude, who's influencing who? Are we influencing the world? Are we being the salt and light we ought to be? Are we cowed into silence? Are we too chicken to speak about the things of God? I'm not saying you, I'm talking about all of us. We need to be bold. It's important. Never forget the foundational truth of the 23rd Psalm. If the Lord is your shepherd, you're not going to want, you're not going to come up with any need. If you ever feel like you're deserted by God, uh, read this Psalm. Verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. If you have a godly grandma, that's great. But if you don't, God is still great. God is still on his throne. If you have a preacher or a Sunday school teacher or anybody else speaking to you, ministering to you, then you might say, well, I could maybe put it a different way or I could do this right. Be glad for the good that is done. If God is exalted, if he is the one that is the excitement, God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. I don't know how many years, months, weeks, even days. I think after what I experienced this week, I might have had the thought go through my mind. And I even had a lady, when I checked in at the hospital, she said, I have to ask this last question. Have you had any suicidal thoughts lately? And I said, well, ma'am, no, I haven't had any suicidal thoughts. But on a regular basis, I ask myself, have I lived as the Lord would have me to do? On the wall, right beside the bed, sign reminds me, only one life will soon be passed. Only what is done for Jesus Christ will last. Yeah. Now I got some trophies. I got trophies when I was a paper boy. I got awards and this and that. But that's nothing. That's all going to be burned up. I can send treasures ahead, and so can you. And that man is no fool who releases what he can't hang on to anyway. But instead, he is thankful for that, for which he can never lose. 
God has given us two things to guide us. Did you know that? I'm not talking about some books on man wrote. I'm not talking about something that folks might do and take a lot of pride in. Some people put stock in dreams and visions. You know, I went somewhere and somebody said they had a vision about this. And that that just touched me so deep. I wish people would take God's word that seriously. But obviously, there are these two things. And the first is his word itself. Verse 24. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel. How do you suppose we get the counsel of God? You don't go to Madame Volga and she'll look into her crystal ball. You don't read your astrological chart. Let's see what uh, the stars have to say. No, it's right here. You want to hear God speak? Rebecca was in a group of people once and they said, I wish I could hear God speak with an audible voice. And she said, here's what you do. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, that's just you talking now. I'm reading it from God's word. You can hear it with your audible, with your ear, but this is God's word, loud and clear. Yeah. Like one preacher so famously said, my problem is not so much with the scriptures I do not understand. My problem with the ones I understand all too well, and I realize I am inadequate. Do you admit your inadequacies in and of yourself? You should. I do. Because I know that within me, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. If I say, if I feel, if I think, if I do anything that is right, it's because of the Lord working in and through me. So go by his counsel. Where withal shall a young man cleanse his way? The 119th asks. You know how? It's not by being a boy scout. It's not by taking this class from a man or something else. By taking heed thereto according to thy word with my whole Heart have I sought thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. We all ought to know that. We all ought to show that. We all ought to do that. But I want you to know too, it's not just his counsel, but his eye. We're reminded about the eye of the Lord. The eye of the Lord is in every place. But I want you to look real quickly. I've got uh, I've got five scripture, but I've already gone over time wise. So I just pick the one first one I got on my list. Psalm thirty-two and verse eight. The Lord guides us by His eye. Did you know God's got His eye on you? God's got His eye on me. And if you're God's child and you mess up, it's not like, oh, I missed that. No, he's not going to miss a thing. I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go, it says in verse 8. I will guide thee with mine eye. Are you aware that God's got his eye on you? We got a guy and his name is Sky sitting right over here. Sky, did you know God's got his eye on you? Somebody, well, I'm glad that Monday got the right eye. Preacher, pick on me too. But I know. That's why when I goof, when I, like I said once, thank God that Samson died for your sins, I had it on tape. Nobody caught me on that one. My friend is the one who catches me when I mess up, when I call Brother Dan, Brother Paul, Brother Ken, or whatever. So y'all cut me some slack, but I want to be right because I speak of the Lord. I don't want anybody to have any reason to think, well, uh, maybe there's not so much to that. No, don't, don't look at my imperfection and find any fault in the Lord, for there is none therein.
don't know what time we started, but I know I've gone longer than usual. You know, sometimes the Lord impresses me with some, some things. I, I, I appreciate your patience, but the important thing is that we know what God has said. Because anything I give you from my own thinking, it's got to come from, from here. If I'm wrong, pray for me. But let's keep to, see, the clock just went out for me. i got to wrap her up there. But let's, uh, whoever that is, I, I'm not making fun. I'm just saying, well, I, I want to draw that to a close. And we're going to have business meeting in just a moment. So, uh, I think you'll think, I hope you'll pray on these things. We've gone through two books of the Psalms. And we've already covered one Psalm of the third book. May the Lord make us take it seriously. Let's stand for prayer.